Okay, this is the disclaimer. This video is not meant to diagnose anyone or imply that anyone has narcissistic personality disorder. This video is to help people identify the hella toxic behaviors that contribute to spiritual abuse and religious trauma. Okay, so here's... Okay, so I don't want anybody to be scared of manipulators, right? Because they're not geniuses. I just want you to understand they're not geniuses. If you were a horrible person, you could be a manipulator too. Ah, not that you want to be, right? Okay, so here's proof number one. So, okay, imagine you're in store and you're, you know, you're a parent and... um. Or, or you see a parent in the store with their child and their child's like, mommy or daddy, can I please have that 300 pound stuffed giraffe over there? I really need it. I really want it. Okay. So the parent is standing there, right? They don't want to say yes because they want their kid to have that ridiculous toy. And they don't want to say no because if they say no, that kid will have a total meltdown and freak out in the middle of the store. Right. Okay. And so they want to avoid those two things. So what does the parent say to the kid? And I'm pretty sure 99% of people will know this answer, right? But usually you'll hear the parents say two words. We'll see, right? So most parents understand that, hey, if I say we'll see, if I say we'll see, the kid will usually be like, oh, okay, maybe there's a chance. Think that there's a chance they're going to get that ridiculous toy. And usually within 20 minutes, the kid's forgotten about it, right? So I want you to understand that, that logic, right? You know, people learn over time the exact words to say to elicit a reaction and to get a, to get a, um, elicit a response out of someone, out of people. Unfortunately, understand that toxic people, manipulators, narcissists, psychopaths, and sociopaths, they also learn that. They also understand, hey, if I say this, I'm able to get this out of somebody. And they just, you know, tuck that little knowledge away in their little pocket and then bring it out whenever they want to elicit some reaction or get out of a certain situation. And here's the thing. The reason why a child will believe their parents when they say, we'll see, is because there's trust there. There's a relationship there. And there's like, and there's an inherent authority there with an adult. Okay. Understand that especially in regards to spiritual abuse. That inherent trust, um, the trust with, to a leadership, to a person who's a pastor or someone who's higher up in leadership in a church, it's there. And unfortunately, toxic people, manipulators, narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, abusers, they exploit that trust. Trust and relationship is super important when it comes to manipulation. So be very careful with people who you trust, listen to their words and watch their actions. Okay. Alert! It's Uche. Welcome back to my channel and my sister said podcast. And this podcast is a podcast for Christians who want a Christian without a stick up their butt and Christian who want a Christian without pretending to be perfect all that time. Okay. And so, but today's episode, we're going to be talk, finishing up um, talking about manipulation tactics so you can understand how subtle toxic manipulation is, especially in a spiritual abuse context. Okay. Basically, spiritual abusers are just like manipulators and toxic people that are in church who use their position to abuse people in church and use your belief systems against you. 
which is disgusting. Okay, so so today I'm going to go back into this, um, finish up this email with Benson Hines. So before we get into this email with Benson, first things first, first things first, um, please make sure you watch this, this sorry, this, this video first. Um, a lot of what I'm saying is super like, it's so subtle, but this will help you understand um, a lot about this video. So if you, I mean, I guess if you can't watch it first, you can watch it second or after, but it's really important that you understand, like grasp the concept of gaslighting and how it feels so you can really understand um, kind of the, the reason why certain words or certain phrases are used in this email. Okay. And it's really important. This is really kind of cool. Because I uh, kind of cool to me now. Before I was kind of really pissed off about it, of course. But now it's really cool because um, it's really rare to see this type of emotional abuse, and it usually happens face to face during conversations. But it's really cool, and really I'm like grateful to like I'm grateful to God that people get to see how this looks in real life and how it's used in real life. So, oh yeah, and for this video, I'm also going to be having some. I have clips from Dr. Romney, Romney, uh, Dr. Romney. She's amazing, and I'm going to have some clips from her. Ugh, I love her so much. Okay, and they're going to help kind of break down any questions. I mean, break down some of the um, the manipulative tactics, some of the concepts that are that might be a little bit more difficult to understand. She's amazing. I may have already said that, but just it's okay to reiterate it. Reiterate that. And um, just before I get started, if anyone. Um, has any like questions like this is if anyone is like, oh, this is not manipulative. This is not manipulative. This is normal language behavior. I'm like, it's actually not. Don't let anybody gaslight you into believing that this is normal because it's not. I asked one question. <laughs> I asked one question and these are the answers that I got back. This is not a normal way to have a conversation with someone with a direct question or a direct concern. It's not. It's just not. No matter how someone tries to slice this, this is not normal. Okay. Um, it's not normal or healthy. So just in case gaslighters be gaslighting, especially in my comments, um, be careful with that. The response is pathological. There's nothing healthy about this response. So as you discern the manipulation tactics, I really hope this helps you kind of practice seeing the subtlety of manipulation. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Continuing. I don't know what I can offer you except some thoughts. There are a couple of places I'd push back. This happens all the time with narcissistic partners. As soon as you raise an issue that you feel that is important for you, the two of you to, to discuss, they will, and you start talking about the issue, then they will immediately, almost immediately push back. Invalidation in romantic or close relationships with narcissists is typical. It happens for a wide range of reasons, including the fact that they are not listening to you, don't really care what you are saying, or just can't be bothered. Over time, the invalidation is one of the primary contributors to the most challenging elements of narcissistic abuse, particularly the self-doubt and the confusion. There are a couple of places I'd push back. 
and then I have a couple of potential suggestions for helping bring change as the Lord leads you. However, I have no idea if these things will be useful to you, so please, eat eat the fish and throw away the bones. But please note, I say this as a person who would love to see God use you to impact our church. I don't think we've arrived at these issues, far from it. I don't know if you are the person God wants to use to do that, but but let's assume, for the sake of of the email, that you are. Believe it or not, deflection is a form of gaslighting, because you're talking about something. You might take the time and say, we need to talk about this issue and sit the person down in a hope of benefiting your relationship. And maybe you raise up something, I don't know, about a lie or about something financial in the relationship and they deflect it to, well, you know what? Now that you brought this up, remember two years ago when blah, 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 blah. And now an issue you're bringing up that's very relevant to here and now They now are talking about something that happened years ago or something that's unrelated. But when they deflect, they deflect to a situation that makes you look bad. First, I'd be careful about saying saying that your thoughts have made zero progress or were ignored, unless you really know that to be true. I do. Number nine, turn off the gaslight the first time it gets turned on. When you are gaslighted, you're being emotionally abused. It's pretty much that simple. The first time someone questions your sanity, your reality, your feelings, honestly, I think your best play is to politely say goodbye. But if you don't want to take such a cut and run approach, then what is critically important is that you hold on to your reality and communicate it. If your reality and understanding of your reality is met with more gaslighting, then now you know this is a gaslighting relationship. Gaslighting is one of those patterns that is all but impossible to change, and it will destabilize you for years to come if you stay. Once the gaslight is turned on, respectfully reach in and turn it off. And if the person won't let you turn it off, then you can turn it off permanently by leaving. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I hope you don't I hope you don't mean because they didn't do it my way that you I won't count it as progress. Another form of gaslighting is presumed motivation. Like they make a presumption about your emotions or your motivation. This is the kind of thing of why are you so angry? Why do you hate me so much? If a person hasn't told you they're angry or hasn't told you they hate you, for somebody to roll up and you're basically the gaslighters injecting their version of the events, their version of reality in you. So when somebody comes up to you and says, why are you so angry? And you're not, that actually can throw you off balance. You're like, mm, I'm not angry. And then they're like, yes, you are. Stop lying to me. Now you get into the confused mud. In either case, I'd encourage you to be careful about being judgmental, which I define as making the call without having enough facts to make the call. The arrogance means that when you provide some input or information on something that they are asking about, they call you a a name, like they call you stupid or an idiot. That is invalidating. Invalidation in many ways is a diminishment of your contribution, your experience, your knowledge, and frankly, you being a human being. Now, here is where invalidation 
gets confusing because it has a lot of overlap with gaslighting. The way I view it is that all gaslighting is invalidating, but not all invalidation is gaslighting. Gaslighting is a denial of your reality. Now, I get it. Your reality is not that you are an idiot or that you're stupid. At least I hope that's not your reality. But that falls more under an insult. Gaslighting would be a case when they literally deny your experience, for example, a feeling or something like that. In either case, I'd encourage you to be careful about being judgmental, which I define as making the call, making the call without having enough facts to make the call. For all we know, your thoughts might indeed have been weighed heavily when you start, when you sent them. Okay, two days before this email was sent, um, my pastor Todd hopped his ass on stage and said, "Okay, trigger warning, really trigger warning." Um, first of all, Todd Wagner's voice, and then also their racist themes. Well, let me tell you what I'm not going to talk about today, and that's racial reconciliation. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because that's impossible. First of all, when you talk about race, you may as well be talking about unicorns. And forgive me if you're here with your child, but unicorns don't exist. And neither does race. That is a social construct. It is not a biblical idea. Neither is Christian dating, homie. But okay. But let's continue with Vincent Hines' email. So for all we know, your thoughts might have indeed weighed heavily when you, when you sent them. It's also hard for me to believe that we've made no progress. I personally know of, I personally know we've heard much more conversation about these topics since the, since the MLK 50 conference and Todd's discussion after that about Black Lives Matter. Because racism started two years ago or, you know, a couple years before hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Look ahead. Okay. All right. And I'll probably cut this out, but I'm like, <laughs> reading this, I'm just like, I can't. Okay. And even if you're not being judgmental and are exactly right, saying those things is likely to put people on the defense, on the defensive, because at least for, because at least for staff members, I would say it probably feels like we've talked about this and acted more on this topic in the last two and a half years than than for years before that. You don't want to give people an easy way to dismiss you. And talking in extremes can kind of do that. The second kind of gaslighting is withholding. I'm not going to talk to you if you bring that up again. This results over time in silencing yourself in a relationship for fear that your other needs will not be met. Fear, for example, that you will lose the relationship. And then also a pattern of doubting yourself and wondering if there is something wrong with you for bringing up a topic. Anyone who has ever been from a family of origin where this kind of emotional abuse was taking place or any other physical or sexual abuse, you know this dynamic too well. And for a child to hear that if you bring something up again, that you would lose the love or support or safety of a significant adult, such a parent, it can be terrifying. This kind of gaslighting can result in going into adulthood feeling that you are not allowed to speak about your own needs. And as you can guess, that can be a perfect setup 
for getting into and staying in a relationship with a narcissist as an adult. Second, I'd encourage you to be careful that your approach seeks to win people to your thoughts. I know that feels like a big pain and might almost feel unjust because in many aspects, your point of view seems so obvious, but that's the way it is with every change we want to bring, even extremely righteous ones. We still have to disciple people to get from point A to point B. Otherwise, we, otherwise they would already be at B and there wouldn't be an issue. The sentences by themselves make sense. Like each of those sentences that I gave you in that example, they're grammatically correct, but all together, they don't represent a meaningful response to the question or issue at hand. And they leave the situation even more confused than it was before you spoke. Now, word salad in narcissism definitely has certain characteristics. It can be very circuitous, a person just talking around in circles and never really getting to a point. It can be tangential. For example, the narcissistic person bringing up topics and themes that have nothing to do with the issue that's being discussed. It's confusing when it's tangential because it's not a response to the issue at hand. It's, it is also, word salad can be very deflecting because, again, it doesn't address the issue at hand. And deflection, in fact, is a sort of a form of gaslighting. If you have something that our leaders want to hear, then make sure you approach it um, as a chance to disciple them slash us. Like a good discipler, be careful to lead change in really wise, winsome, prayerful ways. In other words, don't only pray that hearts would change, but also pray about how you should go about helping hearts change. But what so often happens is empaths have a real propensity of believing that people can be rescued, people can be saved, we got to give everyone a fair shake. And they will literally almost sacrifice themselves in the name of making sure that they try to win over that narcissist. For an empath, the idea of giving up on someone is absolutely unbearable. It goes against what they really, really believe. They see so much good in people that to, to walk away from someone is almost like feeling like they're walking away from themselves. And so they let themselves remain in there, getting shredded and destroyed. And at that same time, that individual who is an empath is more and more walking on eggshells, becoming fearful in favor of trying to please the unpleasable narcissist. When a narcissist is with an empath, they'll treat them like a disposable cup. They'll use them and throw them away. This dark fairy tale is just meant to give context to what happens when empaths encounter narcissists. To all of you empaths out there, you can't change them, you can't save them, and you can't rescue them. And you will destroy yourself in the process. So learn that sweet, sweet spot of being an empath who has skills of self-advocacy and self-preservation. Study good change leadership, if you haven't already, and study good discipleship practices, if you haven't already. And as you do, apply, these, apply those better and better in this fight. You mentioned sharing your thoughts on just about every possible form and contacting several people, or the same people several times, not sure. 
why is a relationship with a narcissist so time-consuming? You might be thinking, well, aren't all relationships time-consuming? Not really. I mean, obviously, in the beginning, you're getting to know someone, and there might be moments, maybe someone's sick. But by and large, once you get into a groove, it's like riding a bike. You really don't think about it while you're doing it. But good golly, those relationships with narcissists are so time-consuming. So let's break down why that is. Let's start with premise number one. Think of all the time you have to spend in a narcissistic relationship that you wouldn't have to spend in a healthy relationship trying to please them. In a narcissistic relationship, because many of you weren't woke for a long time about the fact that these people were never going to change, you were never really ever going to win them over, but you spent a lot of time like, well, maybe if the house is just right, maybe if I do this, if I write this report differently, maybe if I lose some weight, maybe if I take her to her favorite restaurant on and on. Maybe if I buy them this, maybe if I do this, maybe if I say this, because keep in mind, getting out of a relationship with a narcissist is a little bit like retiring from a really, really demanding job. What do you do with your time? You used to spend all your time trying to please them or trying to win them over or trying to convince them of something or trying to explain stuff to them or trying to defend yourself in the way in the, or trying to defend yourself in the face of their gaslighting. That was pretty time consuming. Just be thoughtful. As some, as someone who podcasts, I'm sure you have come to realize that there are engagers and then there are trolls. You don't want to give anyone the excuse to think that you're just trolling, so to speak. Please hear me. I'm not saying that you have. Just encourage you to use good, good change leadership practices. And insults, frankly, are the love language of the narcissistic relationship. It's about the narcissistic need to dominate coupled with the contempt that narcissistic people feel for the people that they need. So by insulting them, it limits any kind of intimacy and any kind of vulnerability. And it also allows the narcissistic person to maintain control, power, and dominance. Insults are psychological daggers. They hurt. And when we hear them, we feel a lump in our throats. If they are happening, it isn't healthy. Insults are not just words. When someone does and says these things and then tries to soft pedal it, honestly, I think that that's gaslighting. Contempt is the death of a relationship. The research of John Gottman has consistently shown that. And insults are a primary means of communicating that contempt. And if you feel you have to stay in a relationship characterized by insults, always remember, don't justify those insults to yourself or rationalize them. As I've always told you, force yourself into the and. For example, I am in a relationship with a person and they regularly insult me. Why do I want you to do that? Because it creates a personal accountability for you and keeps you from falling too far down the cognitive dissonance well. I can share more about the change leadership principles I've learned if you care. Now, for my suggestions to help move us forward as a body, if in fact you have rolled, sorry, if in fact you have rolled um, your work onto the Lord, which is what Proverbs 16.3 literally means. 
If you've connected with the people, leaders working on racial reconciliation curriculum, and it sounds like you have, that offers a real opportunity um, for helping lead change around here. I know it might not seem like it, and change will probably come more slowly than you like, but still. Number 10, pay attention to the almighty future fake. I have a video on future faking, but the future fake is a classical love bombing tool. Someday we're going to do this, and one day this is going to happen, and down the road this and that's going to happen. It can suck you in, and especially if the narcissist has a good handle on what your dreams are, they will cleverly knit your dreams into the conversation. But there's lots of someday, and all of that someday promising happens as they're dropping the ball left and right in the current day. And just as you may be getting courageous about saying, you know, this isn't working for me, this doesn't seem healthy, and maybe step away from a narcissistic relationship during the early weeks, that's when they'll really sweep in with the future fake. I know it might not seem like it, and change will probably come more slowly than you like, but still, I'd stay connected with them and learn from them um, and learn with, learn with them and learn from them and be willing to try their suggestions if they have some, even when you don't feel like it. Likewise, consider what other, likewise, consider what other allies you have, both those with similar passions and those who may not be as passionate, but are willing slash able to help you define your unique role and methods. They can sharpen you so you can make the best possible impact. Gaslighting is all about moving the goalposts, which the narcissists do all the time. They shift your reality and they change the rules mid-game, or they have one set of rules for themselves and another set of rules for you and other people. When you try to bring up this inconsistency, they will either insult you or label you as petty. In many ways, it can feel really nitpicky. I often say that gaslighting is sort of the way that lawyers argue. They go after that one little thing designed to win the argument. Because for narcissists, it is all about winning. They do not care that it is cruel to you or dissolves the intimacy and closeness in the relationship as long as they win. Think about this from a discipleship change leadership perspective. I already said that, but if that's not a frame you've used, I'd give it a whirl. It can be valuable to separate the emotional issues, which are very real and very important, from the harder work of identifying the best process for invoking change. The pain of other people is often experienced as a bit of an inconvenience by narcissists. They already are contemptuous of emotion and emotional expression. So they will often try to nip it in the bud through invalidation. And because the invalidation and gaslighting so often occur together, it gets to be an experience of being entirely negated when you're in a narcissistic relationship. Another form that invalidation can take is through intellectualization. So for example, when you talk about feelings that the narcissist may come in and talk about it back to you from a place of logic and rationalization, it actually feels pretty awful 
because feelings aren't always sensible, but they're real. And you might even be willing to acknowledge they're not sensible. If feelings were sensible, we wouldn't fall in love. We wouldn't go on flights of fancy. The good stuff happens in life when we feel. But when you encounter an unemotional Mr. Spock surgical explanation for your feelings, doesn't feel good. You may be crying and they may regard you contemptuously and say, okay, now let's be logical about this. Let's be logical. Sometimes logic doesn't matter. But to have someone apply principles like logic and rationality to your feelings can feel invalidating. And it is a very common narcissistic move because it allows them to stay in control of the situation. Along those lines, consider whether there's anyone up here. Oh my God. And listen to this part. Listen. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I'm like, I forgot. I, I almost forgot about this part. All right. So along those lines, consider whether there's anyone up here you've written before that you need to write to praise for any aspects that they've gotten right. Maybe there's nothing and that's okay. But if you can find anything about watermarks or in an individual or an individual leader's response in recent days that you can compliment, why not do that? Okay, then he quotes um, scripture. With patience, a rule must be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Proverbs twenty five fifteen. So let's talk a little bit about admiration and validation seeking because it's one of the core qualities of a narcissist. For narcissists, admiration and validation are the air that they breathe. Without it, they cannot function. They're lost and they honestly would feel like they were suffocating. It takes us back to our original premise. Narcissists are deeply insecure. And because of that, in some ways, it's almost like they don't have a fully formed sense of self. So they count on the world to provide that. It's almost like they're like a sculpture that's not fully made. So they need other people to keep putting the clay on it. So it turns into something. So they really do look to the world for that. And in that way, that's part of why narcissists are often so frustrated and so rageful. Because without it, they almost feel edgy, like a junkie waiting for a fix. They need people to tell them, you're great, you're attractive, you're smart, I love you, can't get enough of you, and on and on and on. Hopefully, you're known around here for what you're for. And people always are more likely to hear the person who they know is advocating and not just opposing. A key part of narcissistic abuse is constantly you trying to do the impossible, which is to please the unpleasable narcissist. So you do everything you can do to win them over. In essence, you give up on yourself to please them. You take on their interests, go to places that they want, eat the foods they want at the times they want, have conversations about things they want, mostly conversations about them and what they're interested in. You learn to not ask for anything you need or want or ever voice a preference. So over time, yeah, you actually do start to lose touch with what does matter to you, which may even be about survival. It's painful to think about the things that matter to you, since you can only do them 
on the, on the times that you are away from the narcissist. It's not just the challenges in making decisions and second guessing yourself. It's also the giving in. It's also what I'm calling the capitulation. You may give in on everything, even things that matter to you, because the mantra of the narcissistic relationship is that you go along to get along. And because so many people who come from narcissistic families or who have stayed in narcissistic relationships are people pleasers, the giving in and just not making your needs known so you can please the narcissist becomes dangerous second nature for you. Finally, I guess I just encourage you um, in the way I'd encourage anyone, use your strengths in this cause. I don't know what particular strengths, skills, um, particular strengths, skills, etc. are, but as our new director of serving, it's kind of my job to help people think about the impact they should make instead of just fitting themselves into a box. If God has called you to act on this cause, and you should certainly, and you should certainly make sure he has, then let him show you your unique role. He has things and then um, let him show you your unique role, your unique partners and your unique steps. He's good at that when we let him. If I can help in any way, let me know. I've been on staff for a while. And like I said, I want to help people use their strengths, strengths. I don't know if I say that right. Strengths, strengths, whatever, to do the good work prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2.10. It is very possible that some of those good works for Uche include influencing one of the largest churches in the U.S. Benson. I remember, though, the response in my head. I remember the response in my head after finishing this email. And it's really funny because it's kind of comes from Watermark, right? Um, by little Uche flare at the end of it like literally the first thought that came in my head after I read that email I was like I'm my own ministry that's literally what I thought and I was like everything that was asked to me just only ensures that I'm kept busy while nothing gets done and that's not good enough for me that was not good enough for me anymore <laughs>